Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. And here's your 30-second summary. Once upon a time, there was a teenage girl who was given a choice that forced her into personal reflection. She quickly decided that she had to go to battle in place of her father. In the army, people said, I'll make a man out of you. And while she looked the part, she was true to her heart and became not just a girl worth fighting for, but a girl who fought. She fought for honor for her family and her country, and her story and legacy will bring honor to us all. The end. Let's talk about Mulan, but first let's drop her into history. In 220 BC, organized efforts to attach some not-so-great individual walls into the Great Wall began. In 4 or 5 AD, other than the family secret of his birth, Jesus was a typical little guy in Nazareth. In 50 AD, the main social drink of China was rice beer, but it was becoming less popular and tea was taking its place. Around 220 AD, Confucianism was becoming the state ideology of China, and somewhere in there, the story of a young woman who went to battle in place of her father was born, and she and that wall still live today. Hello, and welcome to the show. Today, we're hearkening back to something we have not done in quite a while. We are going to cover another fictional character. Mulan, Chinese warrior, feminist role model, and recently, maybe an only honorary position is a Disney princess. Okay, let's just begin by admitting that most of us know Mulan from, what? The Disney movie in 1998. And perhaps its sequel, Mulan 2, though I really doubt it. <laughs> I, I couldn't get through it, I do admit. How did I miss the sequel? Anyway, so if that's where we are comfortable with this story, we are going to go start at the other end and give you Mulan's origin story, for which we have to get in the way, way back machine and go to, say, the 5th and 6th century AD, back when King Arthur was traipsing around England. So that'll give you a sense of perspective. It's a very legendary time in the world. Is Mulan a real person? It's absolutely impossible to say. There really is very, very little historical evidence that she was a real person. There were, however, several female military leaders dotted throughout Chinese history. None of them actually lived about the time of Mulan, but it could have happened. The first known written version of the story is a poem. It's only about 380 words long or so, so not just an easily memorized limerick, but certainly within the realm of memorization. It was placed into a folklore anthology sometime around the year 1000. So the implication is that it is an oral story that's been around a lot longer, kind of like any number of our fairy tales. This was just a folktale that had finally been collected and written down. References were made to a work that was written down in the 5th and 6th century, but Nobody's ever found it. This poem was later expanded into a play in about the year 1593 called The Female Mulan, The Heroine Mulan Goes to War in Her Father's Place, a novel called The Suitang Romance, right around the time Shakespeare's operating over in England. So you can see from King Arthur to Shakespeare, you've got a, a wide range of societal influences on how this story is going to go. So we're going to use those three to lay out the basic story of traditional Mulan. All of them have variations, and certainly the poem is not going to have as much detail as the later works. So first, a little historical context. 
This story is set during a time of great change in China. All these nomadic warriors called the Zhanbei had swept down from Mongolia and taken over control from the Han Dynasty. They made a little empire, (laughs) a little empire that was a quarter of China, called the Northern Wei Empire. And they just intermarried with the nobility, built cities of glamour, and they had great riches, and even began to kind of look and dress like the people they had conquered. But underneath it all, there was, I guess you'd call it, latent machismo. I guess, honor, and itch to get out, to do, I guess I'm calling them settled down Vikings. <laughs> Temporarily settled down. These Mongolian warriors were Mulan's people, traditionally, and the Zhanbei were less concerned with propriety than the Han people that they had conquered. So this has been pointed to as why this poem has been so beloved a story, a girl who becomes a general. It's not that shocking. It's not as shocking as it would be later, you know. So I'll put a map up of the events that we cover and the boundaries of the Northern Wei Empire. And now on with the story. It's Northern China, about the year 500, and a bandit king and his large army are menacing the northern border of the empire. This leader, by the way, his name translated means leopard skin. And I thought that was kind of ironic since we literally just covered Queen Nzinga out of Africa wearing a leopard skin denoted royalty there. So here's the bandit king with his leopard skin name. I just thought that was interesting that there was the same symbolism a thousand years earlier. Yeah, and I'm just going to tell you, don't Google that. <laughs> I'm just going to Trying to find it out because cause that particular gentleman came up in the play version of the story. So I was like, oh, there's a new name. So I Googled it, which was a big mistake. Uh-oh. I was like, really? Leopard skin? Is that it? That seems like a, I don't know, adult film name. Well, so there he is. <laughs> uh, so should we just call him leopard skin? I don't think so. Like, I'm just going to call him the bandit king. Yeah. So he has a seriously huge army massing up north. And the Khan, that is to say the emperor, is going to have to go up and stop that army from invading. So he issues a draft order. He's calling up his vassals to go fight. On the posters, which are scrolls of names posted in the marketplace, there's the order that someone from the Hua family is expected to show up to fight. Someone from every family is expected to go and fight. Of course, Earlier versions didn't give Mulan a last name. Mulan itself means magnolia. And in this book of Chinese art symbolism that I will link you to at the end, magnolia is the symbol for a noble house. Later versions give her family the last name of Hua or flower. So her name is Magnolia Flower. It's pretty. It is pretty. Can I use the first juxtaposed here? Sure. <laughs> the sweet magnolia flower juxtaposed against this bitter battle's there you go Susan loves the word juxtapose I do so much now the only really obvious member of the family to go is Papa Mulan's father known as Hua Hu he was a known this is a word I'm going to say just for Susan but I'm not going to I'm going to say it my way he was a known bad Alec so he you know he'd been a soldier not only that he got stuff done he took some names he kicked some booty and he loved keeping his skills up but he was pretty old and as you do your back hurts and your knees hurt and that kind of thing he's getting a little ill he has here's what he has two teenage daughters and a wife and a son who's still a baby now the oldest daughter seems to be on that traditional historical noblewoman path you know looking pretty being properly accomplished in acceptable female roles and looking forward to marrying well the end 
Now, the second daughter, this is Mulan, though also dutiful with regard to the likes of weaving and makeup and making tea, I guess, was also Papa's constant companion. He worked out every day, martial arts, weaponry, made a point of meditating every day, horseback riding, all the things that a proper soldier and philosopher would do. He'd go out and shoot eagles out of the sky with a bow and arrow, which I was thinking, I hope somebody ate afterward because that is a waste. I don't know. Hmm. Even from the very earliest version of this story, Mulan is not really set for this typical woman's life. In in the very earliest poem, which again, like you said, is only 300 and some odd words, she's sitting there facing the door and weaving. She weaves in a lot of the versions, but she's just daydreaming about not what they think she's going to be daydreaming about, which would be who she's going to marry. She wants to do something, you know, do something with her life. That's right from the very beginning version of it. Well, he did teach her everything he knew. And at first, I think it was more like, it's boring to work out by myself, you know, like (laughs) just to have someone to spar with or whatever. But she soon started showing prowess in both fighting and hunting. And in at least one version, she soon outstripped the master. So she could take Papa down. Uh, Folktale Mulan was a force, basically. Folktale Mulan was a 360 degree fully formed character. So the day for departure is drawing near. The energy in the village is kind of getting, I guess, electric. But Mulan watches her father with great sadness. You know, he's old and he is convinced that this is a one-way ticket for him. And he's grieving that he'll never see his daughters married. He'll never see his baby son grow up. He's just convinced he's not coming back. And you know, odds are he's not coming back. The end. I mean, so Mulan age 17, makes a decision. She is going to go instead of Papa. It just specified a member of her family on on that scroll, and she's going to be able to prevent her father going, but she needs to make some preparations first. And so she enlists at least one servant accomplice, and between them, they gather supplies from assorted vendors in different parts of town so no one knows the whole picture. You know, a saddle here, a horse from another guy, armor from a third place, The family has a sword. She's covered on the sword. It's just sitting there in the house. But everything else, she kind of gathers together, puts them in a bundle, and hid the bundle and the horse at a neighbor's house. So I'm guessing it was easier to hide a war horse at your neighbor's house when more people had horses because it would cause some comment around here. (laughs) You think? (laughs) So then get this. Get this. Mulan's feet have been bound since childhood, and this is a serious obstacle to masquerading as a man. And if you ask me, it was a serious obstacle to all that training that went before. But that's logic, which doesn't come into the story. So I did some looking around, and I found the answer. So when the story was supposed to have taken place, like the actual poem setting, 5th and 6th century, there was no foot binding. Mm-mm. But by the time that the play and the novel were out, um, girls had their feet bound to denote their high-class noble families. So if you're retconning a noble woman going off to be a soldier, your audience is going to have a question about this. It's going to be one of the things they're going to ask, like, where does she go to the bathroom and what about her feet? It's a symbol that if she doesn't have it, they're going to be like, wait, did I miss something? Did I fall asleep? Because is she supposed to be from a noble house or not? Like, why are her feet so big? That kind of thing. I don't want to get too far into foot binding, actually. It was pretty shocking and pretty brutal. And maybe we'll just provide you a link. But it basically required someone to break 
many bones in a little girl's foot and bind them in a way so that the toes were folded under and her feet became tiny, extraordinarily painful. Her arch, the arch of her foot was purposely broken. Families used to hire it out because they knew how much pain it cost the little girl, like a five-year-old little girl. And they didn't want to damage her marriage prospects by taking pity on her. So you would hire a perfect stranger to come in and do it. <laughs> and then they made her walk in them, though. They, yeah. they made her walk with her feet like that so that all those bones, all those broken bones would get compacted together. And I have to tell you, I remember when I was a little kid in the 70s, there was a lady that came in. And, you know, I don't know how old she was because when you're a little kid, almost everyone's old. Even my teacher was old. She was probably 22. <laughs> so I don't know how old this lady was, but I will tell you, we had a lady come in. She didn't take her shoe off, but her shoe was super tiny. And that's kind of burned in my mind. It was a little red shoe. Mm-hmm. Um, no bigger than like a dog shoe that you would get for like a husky or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, it was beautiful, but um, so at least that practice had lasted up until the point where I, born in the 1970s, can see someone who had bound feet. Hmm. A long time. Yeah, no, no, it was definitely well into our own era. So once you're a teenager, these changes were permanent, permanent. But the story gets over this problem with the use of, I guess, a magic herbal concoction and grit. She seems to just unfurl everything and get on with it, which is not realistic. Not at all. And plus, when they unwrap it during the play on the stage, the unwrapping was kind of a mm, adult, how, how do we call it? Adult fun time thing. So to do that on stage was kind of, you know, oh, let's go watch this play because they're going to unbind this woman's feet. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yes. Well, she gets ready with her new big shoes and her armor, and she did not cut her hair i guess but she put it in a male style instead of an elaborate female hairdo man buttons were not invented in brooklyn that's all i'm saying about that no that's like i was watching in the movie you're watching the movie and it's like oh here goes the man buns they're all wearing the man buns yeah (laughs) and her family is of course astonished to see her this way at breakfast she shows up in the armor and she lays out her case you know who else can go but me i'm ready i'm knowledgeable i'm young i'm healthy i know what i'm doing and Mama objects, she, but you are a girl. You're going to be surrounded by thousands of men. And then she goes on to say, lonesome men. Her mother yeah. hints anxiously, you know, if they find you out, how are you going to keep your virtue? And what I, I got kind of struck by, like, it didn't seem like she was that concerned about, like, trauma. She was more concerned about when you get back, am I going to be able to marry you off? Right. Well, right. Are well, you going to have her- a reputation still? That was her concern. Well, Maybe that was her that was her job, right? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it was the easiest thing to focus on. That's true. Well, Maloma's firm. I got this. She's like, but you know, there's a tearful farewell. This is gonna be the great unknown. Um, if there was a sun going, that would be bad. And now there's this additional concern, of course. With perfect timing, the committee dealing with the muster are at the door, calling for the man named Who and Mulan who is, in fact, fully armored and manlike as far as they're concerned. You know, they're strangers. She goes with the soldiers uh, probably for years. Her family won't see her again, if at all. So you can imagine the scene inside the house. So let's follow Mulan and her companions, one of whom teases their new friend in the following way, like, ho, ho, you're a handsome fellow. <laughs> I bet I bet the girls love you or whatever. Super awkward. 
Super awkward. So they get to the desk and the officer is like, huh, I thought who would be older? And, you know, yeah. there's a little bit like, <laughs> yeah. oh, no. And then his next line is, well, you know, I'm not paid to think. There's a dude. He says his name is who? What benefit is it to me for messing with this? You know, check. Here you go. You're an officer because after all, you were an officer before. And off we go on our way to fight the bandit king. We're headed toward the stronghold he has at the Black Mountain. Dun, dun, dun. So the poem makes mention of Mulan hearing her mother calling her name, but she just heard the rushing water of the Yellow River. At night, she longed for the sound of her father's voice, but only heard the distant sounds of the enemy army's horses. She felt so lonesome on her journey, so far from home, that she began to cry. And her years of training as a noble lady made her panic. Um, she was trying to protect her elaborate makeup with her hands, and then she had another surreal moment when she realized, I don't have to do that anymore. There's no makeup. <laughs> it was very weird because she'd been, you know, tears spring to your eyes and your first instinct is to protect the powder on your face. Mm -hmm. The poem stated that she rode 10,000 miles to fight 100 battles. People were drawn to her gumption and her skill, and she had a lot of charisma and as high-ranking officers were lost in battle, Mulan got promotion after promotion until at last she was in charge of many troops. And no one noticed? No one? So if you remember from our Joan of Arc podcast, Joan was wearing men's clothing and surrounded by troops also. But her guys knew she was a woman and she was protected from lonely men by everyone's fear of God, so the story goes. Now, Mulan <laughs> had to keep her gender a secret, and as far as I can tell, there was no deity interested in her case at all. No deities, no dragons. No dragons. <laughs> Nobody's protecting her. She's just out there on her own. Well, so out in the field, she'd managed to handle bathroom issues by kind of just hanging back or slipping away unnoticed. But as they came to the walled city fortress, which was the last bastion of the emperor's forces, this is 10 years into the battle, you know, 10 years, 10,000 miles. She's been doing this a long time. At the foot of this enemy's base at the Black Mountain, this was going to be more difficult to hide away because the setup here reminds me so much of the set design for the Quidditch World Cup in Harry Potter. So what you're looking at is ranks and ranks of elaborate tents in straight lines as far as you can see in every direction. And as far as I can tell, at this point, she got by by, you know, she's got a high rank in, in the military now. So she's like insisting on privacy due to her, her rank. Like, get away from me, you, you know, peasants or whatever. And also, <laughs> due to her noble family, she was able to put a little extra snobbery on that, a little distance. And so, I guess, got her privacy that way. And, you know, I don't think that there's guys now or then. I mean, to have little quirks to their personality where they don't like to go to the bathroom in front of somebody. I mean, that's easy to brush off, right? Well, easy to brush off if you have no real reason to be suspicious. No, because the thought exactly. of a girl in the army is not going to occur to you. No, I don't think not that. at all. So it was time for the final battle with the Bandit King himself. The Emperor's army was moving their equipment in for the last push. The soldiers were drilled to kind of pass the time. And then um, there was a great commander who placed Mulan at the head of an entire division. And during the battle, Mulan, from her horse, spies the bandit king himself at the rear of his forces. And you know, the chess game's over if you take out the king. So Mulan heads off toward him, and the bandit king retreats back into his base, which seems like it's a cave. 
in the Black Mountain. Or maybe a house in the valley. It's hard to tell. But the story goes that Mulan engaged the king in fierce hand-to-hand combat alone with a sword. And Mulan wins, disarms the king, and marches him out with her blade at his neck to the cheers of the emperor's forces. And, of course, the dismay of the bandits who are now all for the chop. Chop, chop, chop. That's what you get for being bandits. So this commander, who is often given the name Jin Yong, who doesn't appear in the Disney movie at all. Jin Yong. I don't know. Um, so her commander promotes Mulan to the rank of general. And they spend about half a year cleaning up pockets of rebellion before they head home in triumph. And in some versions, they fall in love. But not the versions <laughs> we're covering. <laughs> so 10 to 12 years after Mulan left home, Mulan, the commander, and all the other officers are summoned to the emperor's palace in the city of Luyang, where her commander talked her up and gave credit where credit was due with regard to the really brave single-handed capture of the bandit king. So the commander gets, you know, some land and a title. Mulan also receives titles and a place at court. And you know from all of our coverage, you know, courts all over the world, proximity to the ruler of a country can give you great influence. And it is a big honor that he's given her here, but she declines, graciously declines. But to everybody's surprise, kind of like, who is this guy with no ambition after all this time and after all this adventure and incidentally after all this subterfuge but i'm not telling you this my friend the emperor i just want to go home to the country and i want to live with my family in peace and after looking around at the courtiers and probably making a get a load of this crazy fool kind of face he's nonetheless very grateful he let the man go home it's even said that Milan refused the gifts of gold he wanted to give her. She just said, I just need a fast horse to get home. So she travels home with a few of her soldiers as escort, and her family is overjoyed to see her back. So think about that. 10, 12 years with no news. You're just having a day, just someday. And there appears your long-lost daughter, perfectly fine, a national hero. She saved China. And then she excuses herself for the big reveal. Women's clothes, hair, makeup, the whole shebang. And I'm thinking, well, you know, this is not going to be good because her dudes are still out in the vestibule, you know. But when she comes out, the response is more like, I'm just like cracking up at this. The response is more like, whoa, no wonder I was thinking he was handsome. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's more like, uh, and I guess that very human excitement in your heart of having this kind of gossip to spread around. So that's it. I mean, there's no axe coming down there's no anger there's no grumpiness so yeah and even from the very very first version you know she they say something like if you see you know two rabbits running side by side how do you know which one is a boy and which one is a girl you don't they're just too busy running i love how calm they are about it there are some versions in which she reveals herself actually at the emperor's palace with about the same effect. So a minute of, whoa. And then everybody starts laughing and, you know, golf clapping. Good show. Good show. Oh. Um, you got it. <laughs> there's a version where the emperor offers, offers, I guess that would be orders her to become his concubine as a reward. <laughs> since she can no longer hold that place at court. Uh, that that one didn't end so well. Hmm. She's just spent 12 years at war. She's going to become a concubine. I'm realizing it's an honorable position. In court, but that's not where her gifts lie, so to speak. So her achievements seem to be transcending her, I guess it would have to be called a lie, 
<laughs> and then, as they say, several endings were filmed. So either she gets married, like her sister, kind of as if all of this really hadn't happened. Good wife, good life. Thanks for saving China, etc. Or, I'm sorry to say, Mulan in many versions commits suicide. Um... Likely because she does not want to follow that path after what she's been through and all the horrors of war. I I can only imagine PTSD. Woo! Okay, so to lighten this up, sorry to end like that, <laughs> there is a version where Mulan is at uh, first kind of love interested by the emperor's daughter. And then, that's awkward. And then after <laughs> discovery, she becomes an accomplice, the emperor's daughter does. And there's a lot of um, kind of girl power and slapstick type comedy in that version. Woo, much better. And I have to say that's probably the seed, the germ of what happens in Mulan 2, the sequel to the Disney movie. I know I should have watched it, but I didn't. <laughs> I have it. Okay, but really, both mainstream endings are kind of wah, wah, wah. Like, there's no, this isn't a fairy tale. No. It doesn't have it. It's just like, and then the end. Like, oh, man. So, you know, what was it all for? I don't, surely not to inspire little girls to grow up to be soldiers. I wonder, the thought, I think, was that this was more to inspire young men to join up. See, like, if even a girl can do it, why are you hanging back? Which is a lot less of a feminist message than you'd wish for looking back on it do you what do you think and, well I actually the after the very first one I had this nugget idea in my head is why and I couldn't shake it and it's, it was a very nice propaganda piece for countries that were at war you know everybody does what they can with the, you know the skills and the gifts that they have and then after this war is over and we all pitch in together and do what we must we can all go back to life as normal life as it used to be Oh, like the women coming to work World War One and World War Two in the factories when the war's ding, over, everybody snaps ding, back. Ding, ding. Mm, yes, exactly. Exactly. I think it's really great as a, you know, a, a girl empowerment thing. I mean, I think it's awesome that it's been around that long. It's not a new concept, you know, because we talk about it in modern times, like, Hey, let's, you know, girl empowerment. But, you know, this is a long time ago. Right. So there she is, traditional Mulan. And it's a great time to take a little break. And when we come back, we'll go over the Mulan you probably know and maybe love Disney's version from 1998. And we are back. Now we're going ahead quite a few years. It's 1990s. And in the mid-1990s, China had blocked distribution of any Disney-associated movies because of a movie that was done by Miramax that was very favorable to the exiled Dalai Lama. So China was like, okay, we don't want any movies that are associated with Disney coming into the country. So there was some Hollywood diplomacy required to get Mulan distributed in China. They had to finance an acrobatic tour. They had to buy a couple screens 
screenplays written by Chinese writers, bada bing. Disney was back in China. I'm not saying this is tied in, but within the next 18 years, there would be two Disneylands in China, one in Hong Kong and one in Shanghai. I have no reason to believe that that's connected with this or with Disney's plans. I have no reason to look into that, but I just think it's awfully interesting. But when Mulan finally did open in China, yes, here is this great Chinese folk story. This is our girl, Mulan. They're going to tell the story. Big Disney. Well, it didn't do so great in China. Some people were upset that the story was Americanized too much. There was more general Asian quality to it, maybe some Japanese elements thrown in than specific Chinese. Uh, Some people said that the Americans didn't know enough about the culture to give a and now we're talking about a cartoon character here, but okay, this is very important to them. So we have to take make it very important to us to give them the depth and the motivation that a real Mulan had. But also it could have been something as simple as this. Mulan was opened in China at the end of school children's winter break. Chinese pirated movies are huge. So all the kids had seen the movie while they were on their break in pirated versions. So when it opened in the movie theaters, the box office was kind of not so great. It could have been as simple as that. And that's why it didn't. I I can't tell you exactly why. But all those reasons around the table, you can pick the ones you like the best. Yeah, I did but, read a critical essay that said there is more historical accuracy in Kung Fu Panda than the entirety of Mulan. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> so well, are you ready to cover the plot? I am, but I just have to say when we decided to do this, I was like, I have a daughter. She's in college. She should have watched this movie, right? Why hadn't I never seen it? I never saw this movie until we decided to do this. I'm like, what the heck? Well, it was released in June of 1998 here in the United States. In June of 1998, I had just moved from Iowa to Kansas City. I was um eight months pregnant and on bed rest with my a baby and I had a toddler. So that's why I never saw Mulan. <laughs> like, why the heck? I, let's see, 1998, I didn't have any children. I had just gotten a big, big promotion and we had just moved to Boston. And there is a whole swath of popular culture I didn't see. I didn't see Friends, any of the Buffy the Vampire Slayers. Wow. I missed the whole first round of Gilmore Girls. Did not have... A touchstone in popular culture that whole entire time. Weird. <laughs> about that. So this wasn't the first time you saw it, was it? No, no, no. No. It, it was the first time I saw Mulan too. Oh. <laughs> oh, you're so much better than me for can watching you tell that. From the tone of my voice, how much I enjoyed that. <laughs> yes, I can. That's about as flat voiced as you get. <laughs> okay. So- before we even begin with this, I just want to give my own personal disclaimer. To me, this is an American movie in a Chinese setting. It has American humor. It has American dialogue. It has an American message, and it blends Asian culture throughout that. Are you going to learn anything about China from watching Mulan? Mm, maybe not. When we open, this is a good example. Mm-hmm. We open on the Great Wall of China. Not the historically accurate Great Wall of China, but the one you recognize, which I totally get. Because if you're going to show the Great Wall of China as it was when Mulan's story was happening, you wouldn't even recognize it. And so you'd have to spend some of your narrative time trying to explain, hey, this is actually the Great Wall of China. I know it doesn't look like what you think it's supposed to look like, but I swear to you, all this rammed earth and straw stuff, that's supposed to be... No, 
So you show the one everybody knows that wasn't completed for another thousand years. And I get that. And I think that's totally fine. (laughs) But what it leads to then is this whole thing is kind of China's greatest visual hits. It's a mix of eras. You're not going to get historical accuracy. It introduced Americans to her story and it it brought Chinese culture, you know, just a little introduction to it, I guess, to this country. And it gave us something to look into it more, which, you know, I think that's what we do here anyway. So maybe that's why I liked it. (laughs) That's why I like the way it was done. So here we go. We are introduced to the barbarian king, Shan Yu, as he and his men scale the wall. This dude could be nothing but a villain the way he is drawn. You know, like, you see Voldemort, you know he's not an ice cream salesman. (laughs) You know this guy is bad. His eyeballs appear. He faces off with one brave soldier that I call the red shirt because he's going to be the first one to go. My husband refers to these guys as Ensign Johnson. They have one line, and they are for the top. Um, But the word is out because the soldier has lit the signal fire. China is being invaded. So the story heads back to a calm village. It's our heroine. It's Mulan. There's a nod to the original story when she talks to the dog, whose name is Little Brother. That's right. to have a baby. Let's just make him a dog. And there's no need to have the other sister. So that's just something else to draw. We don't need that. So get her out of the storyline, too. So we're shown that she's clever. You know, she's got a way to get the dog to do her chores for her. We're later shown that she knows how to play chess. So we're supposed to understand, hey, you know, this is one smart girl. And it's made clear to us that today is a big day. Milan is supposed to fulfill her destiny as a woman today and make a good match. Today, she's supposed to impress the matchmaker. But we see her writing a cheat sheet on her arm. Already, we know, wait a minute, she's not very confident at this. And she's some sort of clumsy, bumbling doofus kind of character. Well, when she like goes to pour her dad some tea in the morning, you can tell that she cares about him because she's making sure she says the doctor said you had to have three cups in the morning and three cups at night. But she kind of almost spills it. You know, she spills it and, and almost knocks it over. And he does a lot of eye rolling. Yes. I, you know, she is delightful, but you can tell this is not going to go smoothly. So she heads off to the, I guess, beauty parlor. It's like the beauticians of the emerald city you know what i mean like it's a whole gang of these fixer-upper people um, <laughs> giving her a makeover what girl wouldn't want that well she does have face powder and the <laughs> eyeliner but simultaneously via the medium of song we learn that not only is she too skinny she also doesn't have a small enough waist so if that does not exemplify what we deal with regard to beauty every single day i don't know what <laughs> are you gonna sing the song do you, will you sing it uh uh-uh. uh. Something about too skinny, <laughs> something about tiny waist, blah, blah, blah. So, incidentally, we're introduced to the character of the cricket, who's supposed to be lucky, only lucky to grandma, as she crosses the street and is sure not lucky for anybody else. Because I happen to notice there's what, 20, 30 poor old souls that have crashed their carts and are otherwise in great peril. <laughs> when grandma crosses the street, I guess that's the joke. So, there's the first of our three animal companions, the lucky. Cricket, although I will tell you a better representation of a lucky cricket can be found in a book called A Cricket in Times Square. Oh, that is a good one. I highly recommend that book, and I highly recommend that cricket. If you're looking for a lucky cricket, you know, head that way, not this way. What about Jiminy Cricket? How do you you have any feelings about him? He's too, like, no, he's not diligent enough. And give a little whistle. 
I can't yeah. whistle. I can't sing either. I think they go hand in hand. If you can sing, you can whistle. I don't know. It probably depends on the humidity. <laughs> the amount of tea I have yet to consume. So would anyone like to place any bets on how the meeting with the matchmaker goes? Not so good. There's clumsiness. There's comedic stammering. There is what the TV Tropes website calls an amusing injury when somebody's <laughs> booty catches on fire. I guess that's amusing. Uh, all in all, it's a big mess. Um, just like we knew it would be because of foreshadowing and falling over, blah, blah, blah. So she knows, she's smart. We've learned that from before, but she's just not really good at this fancy girl thing. Anyway, so she heads home from that big failure, and Papa is pretty – he's pretty disappointed, but he's not mad. You know what I mean? He's like – a big sigh comes out, like, oh. <laughs> oh, we're never going to get her out of our basement. <laughs> she really blew it at the matchmakers. I mean, there's no question about that. I mean, she got publicly humiliated at the end. I think she rolled out like she got kicked out the bar. Yeah. And okay. the matchmakers going, you are not going to bring honor to your family ever, 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 which is her main goal is to bring honor. I mean, that's that song. That's the song they sing. By getting married, because that's how the girls can bring honor to the families by making a good marriage and having sons. I get it. So that whole thing, that whole debacle is overshadowing the family. And this is when Mulan sings the most famous song. Well... I'd say one of the two most famous songs, and it's a song that has been associated with, what would you say, like the LGBT movement? I, oh. This is the song. Oh, this whole movie is associated with the LGBTQ movement. It's one of those stories that's, um, that a lot of different, I mean, over time, we've just talked about how it started, you know, thousands of years ago, and different people took it as their story. I mean, so it totally makes sense that another group of people that are battling for their rights would take it as their story. She has this ah. line. She is weeping in the the family temple, the family, um, what do you call that? The shrine where all mm -hmm. of the tablets of the ancestors are and the stone guardians ring the top. And she's just really depressed. She wanted to fulfill her family's wishes and she just doesn't feel like she's the right person. And she sings a song that says, somehow I cannot hide who I am, though I've tried. When will my reflection show who I am inside? And Why did you say that and not sing it? Uh, somehow I cannot hide who I am, though I've tried. When will my reflection show who I am inside? Wow. I got chills. I'm not kidding. Sorry to all the singers in the audience. Um, okay, well, to people who listen like I do, I thought that was amazing. <laughs> but so, you know, she's like feeling it. And there's a scene that I thought was very touching where she wipes off half her makeup with her sleeve. And she's looking in the reflection of the stone tablet. And she sees her on one uh -huh. side and then what society expects of her on the other very briefly before she wipes that side off, too. It was a very good shot. Yeah. Who am I? What am I, what am I supposed to be in this life? Like a battle song for girls of any age. People. I guess I shouldn't be sexist. Incidentally, <sighs> that was um, Christina Aguilera's first breakout hit, which led me to say, how old is this movie? <laughs> hey, did you know that the marrying age in uh, China for girls was 16 and for men was 20? It just, I have that written here in the margin. Because <laughs> I wonder, you know, we always talk about it. You know, they were getting ready to be married and... 
So she's- and weirdly, you know, I think here, west of Kansas City, because, you know, this was the last place to spend, you know, currency before you went out west. I keep thinking that due to the shortages of women, as you move further west, I almost think that the marrying age was 12 for girls. Okay. That's just wrong. In America, <laughs> during the pioneer era. I don't know yeah. how many people actually did get married at 12, but I actually think that was the legal age. Ooh. So, there you go. Yee. 16's too young, too, by the way, Mulan. So, <laughs> so the posters have gone up in the village square, the scrolls we talked about earlier. The emperor is mustering his army, and so one member of each family has to show up to fight. Oh, that sounds familiar. We've taken that from the old stories. And honestly, Mulan's dad used to be a soldier, but he's old now. He's using a cane. That's how we know. Otherwise, he seems pretty hardy. Um, he, had, he had his beard was gray. Okay. Yes. So now here's where Mulan does something bad. I mean, you can suck at matchmaking, and your dad will sit you down and point at a little bud on a tree and say that it's a late bloomer just like you. No harm, no foul. But Mulan confronts the emperor's men outside in the street about not wanting her father to go because he's old and really embarrasses her father in front of the whole village and the strangers who have been sent from the emperor. And yeah. this time he is mad. This time he feels like he has been shamed. He has He's not having it. She's ruining the family name. And he's very grim about it. And his line is, I know my place and it's time you learned yours. It's not a joke. Ouch. So in front of the statues of the ancestors, Mulan makes the decision to leave, to go out in the world and take her father's place. Unlike traditional Mulan, Disney Mulan has no experience at all. I don't know <laughs> what on earth besides like running away this is because actual Mulan has a good point. Like, look, I'm the most qualified person in this house. And she was. This Mulan <laughs> seems to just be running, running from something. Yeah, she was shame. I mean, she probably felt really embarrassed. You know, that was her motivation. Yeah. Yeah. But she's got nothing. As part of her departure ritual, she grabs the draft scroll that had come from the emperor that her father had in his nightstand. And then she takes that sword and she does her first move with it. Presumably, this is the first time she's picked the thing up and she cuts her hair off. Mm. She puts the armor on. She grabs her horse. And if you look at her, <laughs> she's put her hair up into her new um, warrior bun. Can we call it that? <laughs> She had a widow's peak once she put it up, but when her hair was down, there wasn't any. So she changes her hair. She changes her hairline. It goes to a widow's peak. She changes her bone structure somehow. <laughs> and um, now suddenly she's a guy and she rides off into the morning, into the rain in a fury. She's gone. So she I mean, sneaks she can... off with the horse named Khan, K-H-A-N, which is another nod to the traditional name of the emperor. So here's our second animal companion. Papa and Mama discover that she's gone and they cannot say anything because they're worried. If they out her by going to get her, she'll face death. As in Disney's Mulan, there's a law prohibiting women from serving in the army. I can't, I can't actually find any proof of any sort of law in traditional Mulan. There may have been one, but it doesn't seem to come into play at any point. So mm -mm. Um, the ancestors are dismayed, dismayed, and they need to make a plan to go get her back. And um, if you look along the roof of that little temple, the guardians, the little 
the little statues up high in a circle represent um, the Chinese zodiac. You know, the commonly the thing in America, at least, you really only encounter them on the placemats in Chinese restaurants. Kind of. <laughs> Here we we treat it like, oh, guess what? I'm a dog or whatever. When you're waiting for right. born Ooh. in the year of the rooster, yeah, yeah. But um, the dragon's missing. So where's the dragon? Well, due to some blame for an event in the past, he is now an incense holder. Hmm. But man, <laughs> does he have some drive? He's no longer a guardian, but he wants to get back. He he wants to get back to his position of authority, and he's supposed to go wake up the giant dragon statue to help Mulan on her quest. Well, not to help her on her quest, to go fetch her and bring her back. <laughs> Where there's no helping her on her quest. It's That's ridiculous. Let's go get it- her. I have to tell you, in speaking of Chinese restaurants, they named him Mushu. <laughs> and I, I, I was watching the movie. I'm like, I want some Mushu pork right now. <laughs> and later in the movie, he's like cooking um, a little um, dumpling over the fire. I was like, mm. ooh, dumplings. That would be really good, too. <laughs> you know, there's so a Chinese place about eight blocks away that delivers. What time is it? Oh, it's too late. I think it's too late. I have a, there's actually two Chinese restaurants in my little tiny town of less than 10,000 people. Do they deliver though? <laughs> That's cute. No. Then I went. <laughs> the only <laughs> thing I think the only thing that delivers is there's a one pizza place that's at a gas station and the pharmacy delivers. Oh, now see. That's handy. Well, okay, so I had some problems with the casting of Eddie Murphy as the dragon but I think it's my own personal problem because I missed Mulan entirely and my first cartoon Eddie Murphy was Donkey from Shrek Oh, and he was a few years after this movie so it was so distracting for me to hear Eddie Murphy's voice I kept thinking why is Donkey in this movie because all I could think of was that line that he says at the volcano, you got to let me know before you crack one off. My mouth was open and everything, which is my son's favorite line in any Disney movie ever. <laughs> and so, so I don't know. It's, it's a really similar character, though. Weisenheimer-ish. Man. Who was it that you said in this movie? She's this. She's exactly the same in every movie. You said that about somebody before. Uh, what's her name? Julia Roberts. Is that who it was? Well, I don't know if that's who it was, but I, I also <laughs> think Julie Roberts. I think Hugh Grant's the same in every movie. Yeah. I think Eddie Murphy is the same in every movie. And I kept thinking that he sounded too much like Robin Williams in Aladdin, like at the beginning. Like he comes he comes back and I wanted I kept expecting him to say ten thousand years, you know, just like like Aladdin. <laughs> I know, and all those are kind of the same era. Maybe it was just a you know a cultural thing at the time to have, like you said, Weisenheimer, big mm-hmm. personality sidekick. So either the dragon breaks the statue, or in fact, as some commenters have said, the spirit of the big stone dragon already got into Milan, which is what inspired her to go in the first place. So all there was was a statue. Okay, wow, that's a reach. Well, if we t- accept the premise that the stone dragon... Was supposed to come alive and everyone fully expected it to. No, I really want to spend five minutes discussing the motivation of a stone cartoon character. (laughs) (laughs) I just think it's kind of a reach. But at this point, Mushu has decided that it's up to him that if he's going to get his job back, he's going to need to get Mulan into battle. And since he's just gone and broken the dragon, he's going to be 
the dragon and he's going to be the guy that does it. He pretends to be at, he says something, he says a line, Miss Man decides to take her drag show on the road. He's going to go follow her. Like, okay. (laughs) I actually said out loud (laughs) to my son who was sitting there and I said, inappropriate. Like yes, to him, and he starts laughing, and I was like, "It was so short a time ago, but really, our culture is so different now." I know, I know. And then when the an- ancestors are talking before Mushu heads off, uh, they're they're complaining about how you know kids back in the olden days were honorable, and but now Mulan is a quote cross dresser who needs to be brought back. Like, okay, so what? She wants to dress like a guy? Let her dress like a guy. Like it's a really horrible thing. It's the worst thing that could possibly happen to the ancestors, which I guess is a good setup for the movie because it it shows you the, you know, what she's dealing with. Right? Yes. And I am gonna nitpick here. No one seems to notice that there is a giant plot hole here. Okay. There are other village boys going at the same time as Mulan. In fact, this guy right before she was called had just volunteered for his father. So would you think that kid would be in her unit and would know who it is? I mean, I don't know. We never talk about it again. It doesn't come up. But it's Maybe it's me. about when they arrive, they get placed in by the time that they arrive. And so maybe he arrived at a different time. I mean, it's like, you know, like you had described... Um, at the, uh, the Harry Potter, the kid, Kidditch, is that how it's pronounced? Kidditch? Quidditch. <laughs> Sorry. I know. What Sorry. about Quidditch? I'm interested. I have a, well, you said that like with all the tents, you know, I, I kept thinking Gone with the Wind. You know, like all the tents lined up, all the military tents. And so oh, the Quidditch World this, Cup. Yes. Yeah. So it was like this huge thing. And, you know, so maybe the neighbor guy was somewhere else. It's like if you go to college with your someone from your town, you may never see them. But if you go to Paris, you're going to see your postman. You know what I'm saying? That's That's what I just assumed, that he had got there at a different time. I would assume if I had thought about it, which I didn't until just this very moment. Anyway. Well, Milan practices being a man by emphasizing some of the grosser aspects of boy life. Like, you know, we didn't see the farting, but, you know, talking in a low voice, smacking people. And I guess... As the mother of an 11-year-old boy, there were some behaviors that seemed to match, you know, like driving them home from baseball. There are a lot of smells uh-huh. and punching and yeah. that kind of thing. So maybe she's got that a little bit right. I don't know. <laughs> I think she does. <laughs> so she is assigned to her unit under Commander Lee Shang. And I have to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, he gets my vote for the most handsome Disney prince of all time. Can I get a minute? Because dang. Dang, I'm danging with you. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, they did good with him. Milan thinks so, too. You know, peep at her reaction. <laughs> she fumbles so obviously over her name, though, which is just like, uh, really, this is like worse than Three's Company. So if you speak the language, it's sort of a pun, the name that she finally stumbles across. The Disney last name they've chosen is in a different dialect. So instead of Hua, it's Fa. And that's her last name. Um, said first in Chinese tradition, and then she chooses the first name of Ping. So her name is Fa Ping, which literally means flower vase. In slang, a woman whose only purpose is to look pretty and provide ambiance for a man. So we'd maybe say in English, uh, arm candy. Uh So her name, (laughs) if you understand the dialect, her name, the warrior going off to fight is arm candy. It's a little bit of an end joke. 
I keep waiting <laughs> for you to very talk. Nice. No, I was just going to say, um, Ping is actually, was the name that they gave in uh, the play to the um, the general. Yes. So it was it was a character from one of the the older versions. So technically, okay. he's not a prince. Technically, he's the son of a famous general who's given him this unit of misfits. I think dad gave him this job to keep him out of trouble. That is what I think. I don't think that Li Xing would appreciate me saying this, but <laughs> I think dad gave him these raw soldiers to keep him away from the front. You know, you've got a responsible uh, job, but you're not going to be anywhere near the fighting, my son. That's what I think. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I yeah, I can see that. But also, he's the guy for the job. I mean, he's young and handsome, and he's you know he's military. He knows what to do, right? He knows how to whip these really really ragtag bunch <laughs> into a uh, fighting unit. Well, and then we get the second most famous song of this entire movie, I'll Make a Man Out of You. Now, I'm not singing this one, but the lines that are ironic include, let's get down to business to defeat the Huns. Did they send me daughters when I asked for sons? Ironic, because they did. <laughs> Every, time Every time I hear that song, I think it should be used for like uh, an axe commercial or something. Be a man. You know? <laughs> okay. We should Google and see if anyone ever used it. Although I understand that getting the rights to Disney stuff is not what it could be. Oh, I imagine it'd be really I difficult. Very difficult indeed. Um, so the training montage, training montage, blah, blah, blah. Milan's not really cutting it. And in fact, at one point is told to pack up her crap and, you know, get out. You know, talk about dishonor. Although really, is it dishonor if you can't tell anybody about it? Because your daughter was wearing a suit? I don't know. They wanted people to hold swords and they're going to throw her out, but her dad was going to be able to do it. I don't <laughs> They just wanted somebody to hold a sword, right? They knew that a certain percentage of their army is expendable. I mean, yeah, she was totally bungling it. I mean, she had lived a very uh, sheltered life. She didn't have any physical, <laughs> she had no strength. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the rationale was there except for, you know, to fulfill the story. Well, the dragon... Yeah. And the cricket decide to forge some marching orders. And after Milan transcends her suckiness at regular training and defeats a challenging obstacle involving weights, a tall pole, and an arrow, fair enough, you can come with us. I don't. <laughs> it's the magic trick. So they're going to go fight. Uh, it's a false need at first that turns out, unfortunately, to be true. Let's call them the ragtag unit. Milan's unit, of course. Discovers that the army, the real army, Li Xing's dad's army, has been wiped out. It is like the most grim description of death in any Disney movie I can think of. And they juxtaposed it with this super happy song about, you know, they're walking, they're marching through the lakes and the, all the terrain. And they're singing about a girl worth fighting for. I mean, it's this kind of happy song about, I mean, it's super sexist. There's nothing said at all about the kind of woman she was other than she could cook and she was really very pretty and she could kiss nice. <laughs> Doesn't Mulan at some point say... Uh, something like, and she has a mind, and they're like, not necessary. Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they're like happy guy stuff in the, you know, da 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 da, and then suddenly they can't come upon this village that's just cinders. It's just totally burned. And to make it even 
more heartbreaking. They look and the army is there. And that was the army that was being led by Lucian's father. And that bandit king, Shen Yu, woo woo, he is cold. He is super cold. He purposely sets out to kill everyone in a village and specifically a little girl after he finds her doll. He is he is bad. <laughs> like he is a bad guy. He, uh, man. And Mulan's unit and the Bandit King eventually end up facing off on this snowy kind of cliff top. And the Bandit army, I mean, there's so many of them. I wrote numerous, but I I don't say numerous. There's like a lot of guys. Um, and they're giant. I mean, they're all giant. They're drawn giant. They're drawn mean. Not a one of them has a redeeming quality. Well, this little band of soldiers we got is trying to fight them with these cannons shaped like dragon heads that incidentally have the word danger printed on them in Chinese characters if you're interested in that sort of thing. <laughs> um, Mulan has the idea, since it's so few against so many, to start an avalanche with the very last cannon and bury the opposing army in snow. She's triumphant. But during the battle, Mulan is wounded in the chest and has to be sent for treatment. Hmm. Now, you and I both know that what happens now is that she's unmasked as a woman. Dang it. She made it through because before she was in the water with them getting clean and she hid that. She hid it all this time. But the thing that she saved everybody and now they found out. The captain picks up his sword. He's ready to chop her head off because that's what he's supposed to do. But he just lets it go. He says a life for a life. So he doesn't kill her, but he leaves her alone on a snow-covered mountaintop. So I am not really down with his behavior because, old triangular one who, in fact, has just saved your fabulous bacon. Exactly. <laughs> so anyway, Milan, left alone, left alone, is the only person left to see against, of course, all odds that remnants of the barbarian army are emerging from the snow. A small band of the bad guys have made it, and she's the only one that have, that's seen them. So she takes off as fast as she can to the capital, where the emperor, who he's received the news that his big enemy has been defeated, and China is now safe, as far as he knows. And he is holding a giant parade and a rally for the victorious soldiers. Even though I might say that nobody seems to be giving Mulan credit for anything, which is also bad behavior, and maybe I do not like Li Shang after all. <laughs> yeah because she tells him she comes up she's like look the hunter in the city and he says no uh, why should i believe you you lied to me about this and she says well you believed ping who was her why not mulan and then she just leaves him because he's being an idiot guy <laughs> well traditional mulan general gave mulan the credit you did it hooray well disney we're disappointed in that part. Anyway, <laughs> Milan has to warn a whole bunch of people that, you know, oh, no, you know, they're coming and the bandits are coming to kill the emperor, but no one will listen to her. And in fact, Milan is specifically told, oh, don't you realize you're a girl again? I guess to imply that out of her disguise, she's a piece of crap. Uh, yeah, that's what it's implying. I, I, it's not even implying. It's pretty much that's what it's saying. <laughs> in big letters, yeah. Not even in Chinese symbols, yeah. C-R-A-P. So as the last main battle of the story, Li Xing is fighting the big bad Bandit King. And to his credit, get this, the Bandit King, while fighting Li Xing, has the brain power left over to realize that Mulan is the same soldier he fought on the mountaintop and absolutely makes... No judgment as to a woman. He simply recognizes her as 
oh, you're that enemy from before. And Li Xing, forget him. He focuses on the greater enemy, Mulan. Not toward the eminently more muscular Li Xing. Well, I'm just saying in that regard, in this movie, the villain is better than the love interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, instantly, that's... instantly, jo- no judgment except for like, oh, no, you and me, we're going to battle because we're we're the enemy. Curious, isn't it? Curious. Mm-hmm. So also, I, I'm just going to say this. We can just let it sit out here. A weird cross-dressing scene involving assorted melons and a banana down someone's pants. <laughs> so I'm going to leave that in the realm of the imagination. I know we never really talked about her her three sidekicks. You know, they were put into the story, you know, as her, as the representatives of her unit and comic relief is there's a short gruff guy and then there's a taller skinny guy and then then there's the sweetest guy on the whole planet. Our our tech guy JD he, he is this most amazing person because I could be freaking out about something and I'm just going crazy. And he's just like all zen and he's like, it'll be fine. And he just kind of like does a verbal hug and it's all done. It is. It's fine. I, I'm sorry. He was just JD to me. That's all. Well, there you go. <laughs> so, of course, of course, Mulan triumphs. Are we doubting this? There's fireworks. There's um, <laughs> stopping a sword with a fan, which evidently is a recognized and legitimate move. That's right. (laughs) If you can believe that, Mulan knocks that out of the park. She sends a firecracker. She sends a lot of firecrackers here and there all over the place, and she wins. And that old question of, oh no, she's a girl. But the emperor pardons her in front of everyone. So, hooray! Yeah, and then she hugs him, which I guess is like a huge no-no to hug the emperor. You know, they say it in the movie, could she do that? But in real life, no, she could not have done that. That's like the, it's like, he's like the hand of God. You just don't go up and hug the hand of God. I'm not even sure you were supposed to look directly at him. Yeah, no, not, definitely not throw your arms around him. So Mulan, triumphant, returns back to her parents who are now reconciled to their daughter's tomboy behavior and they accept her fully back into the family. And then Li Xing shows up and is, I wrote the word adorkable. <laughs> Although I kind of wrote it in quotes, which makes me think I was a bit suspicioso of him. And he kind of asks her out and there's a whole bunch of coyness, I guess. And I personally think this guy has shown you enough red flags, Mulan. You should just stop now, Mulan. He left you on a mountaintop of snow, Mulan. <laughs> Isn't that enough? But yeah, so know. now you're gonna like betroth yourself to him and do his bidding. Well, maybe he she realized he had a change of heart. Right. I mean, you got you got to give the guy one chance. Hey, I have to tell you, you you put what did you put in quotes? Adorkable. Adorkable. I called him Captain Happy Pants. <laughs> Are we too cynical? Are we too cynical? Uh, yeah, a little bit. So I guess no one else is feeling the the skepticism. Yeah, Grandma wants him to stay for life. Oh, hmm. <laughs> Maybe we'll cover that in movie two, huh? Yeah, you know what? It's free in Netflix, and I think I'm going to leave Mulan 2 as a delightful surprise. Yes, go for it. And I forgot my favorite part of this whole entire thing, by the way. What? It's from a long time ago. I'm just going to tell you my favorite thing. Um, I forgot to put it in before. So the dragon, when we first get to meet him... <laughs> He either really thinks the horse is a cow 
or pretends the horse is a cow to make the horse mad, which is where I fall on the spectrum. I thought it was funny the whole time. And then I love it when the dragon screams, dishonor on your cow. <laughs> it makes me, because I'm like, what? What just happened? Just made me laugh every time. And I don't know why. <laughs> I like that part too. I did laugh at that. It's funny. But Mushu, he gets his guardianship back. Is that what it's called? When you become, he's no longer the bell ringer. He's actually an official guardian. And this weird party ending, which ah, can't say I was a fan of. You know, all the ancestors, the ghosts are all partying down. They're playing you know, volleyball with one guy's head and 98 degrees and Stevie Wonder singing in the background. Okay. <laughs> There's one point when one of the soldiers, it might even be Lee Shing says, I wish I had paid attention in gym class. Oh, yeah. I just thought, what are you talking about? <laughs> and, you know, it sounds like I don't like it, but it was pretty, I mean, it went fast. It was pretty entertaining. Uh, I'm obviously not the target demographic anymore. I don't think Milan would be in the cultural knowledge bank without this disney movie it did a lot yeah good. there's no stage like the disney stage you know and look what it did for 98 degrees <laughs> christina aguilera christina aguilera i was actually quite surprised that um 98 degrees had only banned together about a year earlier before this movie st- opened okay wait i have a trivia question for you okay who sang the voice in the song <laughs> i'll make a man out of you uh, Donny Osmond. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I know. I couldn't either. I was like, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> okay. So I, I have a friend who's an animator. Um, and, uh, she, I asked her her feelings about this particular movie. And she told me that, um, in animation circles that it's actually known for its beautiful, beautiful design, she said, and for having a female character that was ahead of its time. It doesn't seem like it's that long ago, but I think a lot has happened since 1998. Culturally, definitely. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we think, oh, just how, ha- you know, this is within the last 20 years, but good grief. We've come a long way, baby. The romance is actually so secondary. It's something that she stumbles onto accidentally. You know, she runs away from getting married. So that was kind of romance aspect out of it and still had a fine movie, I think. I think that was just unnecessary, completely unnecessary in the storyline. Also, it's noted a lot for the many nods to the LGBTQ culture. You know, we talked about that earlier, but there's a lot of gay icons that were cast in both speaking roles and singing voices. So Donny Osmond, who is not gay, but he's kind of a gay icon. Mm-hmm. Christina Aguilera, um, Harvey Firestein, Firestein, and George Takei, which I actually just looked up how to say his name because I only see it printed, were uh, voice, voice actors. What did George Takei do? you know? Yeah, I do. He was the um, head um, ancestor. Oh. Now, there was another Mulan movie. In 2009, Mulan Rise of a Warrior was a live-action Chinese movie. Um, It is available on YouTube, so you can watch it in its entirety as long as you don't mind reading it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love Amelie. I'm all about subtitles. Or, well, or, you know, if you know Chinese, I guess you could watch it, right? Um, <laughs> but it was very epic-ish. It's not at all disney find. It's very gritty. Um, it was a big production movie. But think of it like as a kind of a war movie. Um, 
the battles were so, they were choreographed so beautifully. Like these guys would line up and their armor would just go chung, 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 chung. And all of a sudden there's like a fortress mm. of armor. Yeah, it was so, it, so cool. But um, did I happen to mention it was extremely violent? So, you know, if you have kids, you might not not want that. Um, it did start off with a traditional nod to the weaving. It followed um, a lot of the ballad. She didn't cut her hair, but she did steal her father's stuff. She was in battle for 12 years. Uh, she was known through the tr- through the army that she was a woman. I'm just going to tell you the little bit of differences because we've talked about the story so much um, in the last whatever hour-ish. But the it, they discovered she was a woman. It was again. It was no. It was a big deal, but it wasn't a big deal. They handled it. There was a love interest with a prince, which um, added a little um, more emotional depth than a lot of the stories. And he actually pretends to be dead so that she becomes a better general, because she's a general. And <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. She's a general in this movie, so he pretends to be dead because he thinks she's getting too soft by being in love with him. So he fakes his death and she like grieves and then she comes out and she's seriously, she's really, really an awesome military person. (laughs) There is of course no uh, dragon in it, but there is a brother character that's in the movie and he kind of does the job that the dragon did in the, in the animated version. You know, he kind of gives her, uh, inspiration and it kind of pushes her on and then she has to watch him die did i happen to mention how violent this movie was Jeez. the love interest follows her home and then for political reasons he has to go off and marry somebody else that's the sad ending of this movie you know they fight together side by side for 12 years she thinks he's dead he comes back they fight some more they go back to their you know home life and he has to get married to somebody else well, that follows with the traditional play and the romance. It doesn't yep. end in a beautiful walk oh. off into the sunset. It's the two nope. endings are she simply gets married for duty to a man of good rank or she commits suicide. Yeah. So this one, she doesn't commit suicide. But he follows her home. I don't know why he followed her home. I think he thought in his head maybe they could get together. But she's like, no, no, no. You have to go. You have to go and do what's right for this country and go marry this other princess. Wah, wah, wah. I'll just stay here with these lotus blossoms falling from the tree or whatever kind of flowers they were. The end. So that's on that's on YouTube. It's it's an interesting version. It's very real realistic, I guess. It probably has a lot more detail in it um, that I that I missed. You know, that was authentic Chinese. For those of you who want your authentic Chinese version of Mulan. So that is our coverage of the more common easily accessible stories of mulan um quite a contrast between traditional mulan and disney mulan but i thought that was uh i don't know it was quite a little eye-opener as to our culture and cultures of the past and now we are going to go on to media
And now it's time for our much-loved, much-vaunted media section. So (laughs) we're going to start with books. I have to tell you, this book, if you get no other book about traditional Mulan, I would say um, it's not as beautiful as some of the others, but the book is called Five Versions of Mulan with Related Texts by W.L. Edema, I-D-E-M-A. And... um, that is really, I mean, it is like a side-by-side comparison. You can read them all in one small volume, and that was where I got so much information out of that book. Mm-hmm. And then if you if you prefer beauty, i.e. excellent <laughs> watercolors, I've got The Ballad of Mulan, retold by Song Nan Zheng. And this one has the entire text of the poem, both in the original characters and a translation with... I mean, just the most beautiful illustrations. And since it is not such a long poem to begin with, um, there's great scope for the illustrations to take up most of every page. And it's quite beautiful. (laughs) Um, Mulan herself is quite beautiful in here. There's none of that um, Disney squarification of her face. She she radiates beauty and strength. And I would say that is my favorite illustrated book. Just to keep this brief, my third book is called Hidden Meanings. In Chinese Art by Teresa Bartholomew. And it is an, oh, it's a thumper. It is definitely over an inch thick. It's an alphabetical key to kind of hidden symbolism in Chinese art. And that's where I learned about the magnolia being the symbol for a noble house. Ha! Among other things. There's examples of, say, photographs of objects in museums or of pictures or paintings ink drawings, whatever is appropriate that has that element in it, and then a little history about the item, followed by what it symbolizes traditionally. It was just great, and I loved it. I You have to be a certain kind of nerd to dig into this book, but I really liked it. Yeah, it sounds really good. I, I have to say, my library was really, it came up, it disappointed me in this particular subject. It was pretty light. Are you done? Well, there's, I mean, there's a lot of other books and I figure I can just link Uh, on Pinterest. Uh, We have a Pinterest books we recommend and I I hate to just list off a list of of books when there's a more graphic representation. I can kind of put them all in there. Yeah, no, I totally agree. But I do want to mention a couple. Um, The Disney uh, animated movie was based on a book by uh, Robert D. Sansusi, Fa Mulan, illustrated by Jean and Mu Shen Chang. I know. I'm sorry to all the Chinese people. I just ruined your language, didn't I? <laughs> Not intentionally, I swear. Um, but it has it has it's a kid's book, obviously, but it's it follows along the story a little bit closer to the way the Disney one did. But the the pictures aren't the illustrations are not Disney illustrations at all. Now, if you are gonna read this story to your kids, which I certainly would suggest, um, there's a book called The Flying Horses, Tales from China by Joe Manton and Robert Giddings, and it has uh, several stories in it, um, including this one. And I really liked it. It had a section from the narrator, like uh, talking about what was happening in the story. I just thought it was a really um, good read aloud. I actually read it aloud to my 20 year old daughter (laughs) who really enjoyed it. Yes. And she actually, she is kind of a, um, she used to be a a blogger for um, teen, uh, teen reads, um, anyway, so she's like really big on retold fairy tales. That's her thing. And she says that the retelling 
uh, by Cameron Doki called Wild Orchid is really good. Can I talk about a book that I didn't get and I read everything that was about this book online and I really wish I could get my hands on it? It's called Mulan's Legend and Legacy in China and the United States by Lan Dong. Couldn't get my hands on it, but everything that I, his website, everything I read about it, I was like, yeah, that looks really good. Uh-uh. Didn't get it. Well, there is um, a link. I will provide you the whole poem with a translation, um, although I'm sure a quick Google search could find that for you. <laughs> um, there are a couple of pages on tvtropes.org. Man, TV Tropes is a rabbit hole, and I just love it. I just spent like an hour on there looking about Gilmore Girls. I mean, how do I describe the TV Tropes page? There are themes that run through TV, movies, print media, all kinds of things that have some commonalities to them. Like, you know, um, there's one called All Animals Are Dogs that applies to Mulan, where it seems like anytime you get a hold of an animal, they act just like a dog. They're like your friend. They're jovial. They want to hang out with you. Um so that kind of falls in here. Amusing injury is another thing that goes into Milan. Oh, Curiously yeah. sharp weaponry because of, at the end, how the the main bad guy can simply cut through two columns of a palace with his mighty sword. So that Yeah, kind of that was a, quite a sword. <laughs> so there's both that page about the tropes themselves, and then there's an opinion page. So you just click on the page that says head scratchers on the Milan page, and then people send in questions about things like plot holes or why did they do this and other people weigh in it's almost like a reddit page so mm-hmm. that is super fun and then um, i found a website that talks about the cultural accuracy of disney mulan and goes through it line by line in kind of a way that we didn't feel like we should do on the podcast and then the once upon a time character page for mulan now we didn't talk about the fact but Mulan is a main character in TV's Once Upon a Time series, uh, starting in season two, and has quite the story arc, quite the controversial story arc, as it turns out. It was very controversial, and I I regret that I stopped watching the show, because I would have loved to have seen what had happened. I guess I could have caught up on it, but... We can't give you a spoiler, because, you know, I would just say I was completely confused by the whole Once Upon a Time show, but that's because I began with season two, and I had no idea about some of the the main themes uh, of the show. So if I were to be inspired to watch it, even though Mulan shows up in season two, you might want to just start with season one and get a grip with what's happening, because I was completely uh, confused for a long time. Oh, yeah. You absolutely need to start in season one. I thought it was a really... Um, it was a really great show. I, I mean, it's still on. It really, I, I just don't watch it anymore. But um, yeah, for, especially if you like uh, fairy tales at all, it got kind of Disney-fied, but, you know, it's on ABC. It's a Disney show. Um, Disney, you know, kind of has a market on fairy tales in this country anyway. So I guess it makes sense. But uh, yeah, I think it, it's some very clever um, fairy tale adaptations were in that, in that TV show. And it's really even good. though I love Sarah Bolger in The Tudors, she played um, Mary in The Tudors, Henry VIII's mm-hmm. daughter. I love her. She is a good actress, but I hey, hate her character in Once Upon a Time to the point where I'm like, clickety click. <laughs> let me let me go watch Gilmore Girls again. Yeah, I don't <laughs> know. Sometimes, well, Gilmore Girls is like mashed potatoes. It's like comfort food. 
You know, you feel a little down. Yeah. You just click over to Stars Hollow. Everything's going to be all right. You don't have to engage any brain power. It just feels like a little blanket. So, And speaking, I, I, I had no desire to go into this right now, but you and I haven't talked about the Gilmore Girls experience yet. Have you finished? I actually can tell you the very short review I have of, and this also applies to the Sex and the City movies. The same oh, exact okay. statement applies. I was so okay. blissfully happy to see my old friends again, catch up, find out what they're doing, see the old haunts. I had a few moments of cracking up, loved some of the in-jokes, pretty much hated the whole thing while simultaneously being happy to be there and smiling the whole time. So you know what? That's fine. It's fine. I don't mind it. I didn't love it. I won't probably watch it again for a year or so, but it's nice to catch up. It was so I don't know. I don't know what to say. That's how I feel. No, that's really good. I have to say when I I uh I was hopped up on um painkillers because I broke two ribs went right before that came on. So I was stuck in my chair to watching it. <laughs> I had nowhere to go. I was just I couldn't move anyway. So <laughs> My impression of it has kind of a oxycotton haze to it, so <laughs> maybe I should rewatch it again. Hey, since we're talking about websites, I do want to say I could have sworn on our last episode with uh, Queen and Zynga that we talked that I had talked about rejected princesses. Um, it's rejectedprincesses.com. It's a really fun website. This guy does an amazing job with historical women, um, not just princesses, but um, it, it's really, and I thought I talked about it and I put it in the show notes and apparently I didn't even say anything. So it's in the show. A link to it is in the show notes, both for Queen and Zynga. And I'll put another one in on this episode because you really need to go check out his stuff because it's pretty awesome. He's really good about covering women from all over the world. So a little lighter note, if you're old enough to remember Sega Genesis, I don't even know, arcade game, um, there is a video of the Mulan game opener video. Uh, it, the game was based on the Disney version and there is like, oh my gosh, how far video games have come. If you watch this, there is a part where the dragon scoots across the screen and says, want to be a man? <laughs> Question mark. And then you go fight. <laughs> I, whatever. Oh. It is super hilarious uh, to me. <laughs> and then for a little high brownness, the Vienna Orchestra, oh. the entire opera, Mulan, in Chinese with English subtitles. Um, we will link you to that. But beware the overture video. In fact, just click the 30 second ahead button until you see that it's over. It is so not good. But once you get past that, it is very, very good. And of course, I, the child of two symphony musicians, think all the close ups of the orchestra performers are really good, too. So, it, Oh, that's cool because you don't usually get to see those. Mm-hmm. I don't have any other websites. I do have the Dynasty song that I never managed to finish. I do I have another it. website, but it's I'm not proud of it. It's fairly embarrassing, but I must confess it's not me that keeps watching it, really. I'm just the mm-hmm. passenger on that ride. There's this boy band that has made a song um, series called Disney Dudes. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. And Mulan features in there, and it's really, it's really... I don't know. I think if you have an eight-year-old, you might really enjoy this. But Mulan's only line in the whole thing is, I think I should focus on my studies. That's all she said. <laughs> She's very wise then. 
Uh. Okay. Um, as for movies, there's obviously the two that we've already talked about, the 1998 Disney version and the 2009 Chinese version. But are you so excited about this? In 2018, winter of 2018, there will be a live action version coming from Disney, just like they did Jungle Book and Cinderella and the upcoming Beauty and the Beast. There's going to be a live action Mulan and they're looking for Mulan all over the world. There's a big controversy with that because evidently the first script that came had um, Mm -hmm. what TV Tropes calls a white savior Mm -hmm. as the love interest. And I am very proud of the controversy that erupted around Hollywood when that came down that everyone was like, nope, 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 do not do inappropriate. So Mm -hmm. uh, they have since come back and said, no, 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 all actors will be Chinese. We're we're. We're going to be sensitive to the thing. I'm like, I don't think you have to be sensitive. You just have to be authentic to the source material. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, they took a lot of uh, a loose hand with the animated version. So it would be great to be a lot more authentic for this one, I would think. Well, and they don't need to have a random third-party character just appear out of nowhere and save Mulan from, I don't know, herself, a bad guy. I'm I mean, sorry. We don't need to have a third-party and nobody got to save Mulan. She can do it herself. She can save herself, especially if it's traditional Mulan. She doesn't need anyone. Okay, uh-uh. more close to home. If you're talking about, um, I was very intrigued by a preview I saw. There's a show coming out. This isn't Mulan related, but it is live action related. There is a TV series. Gosh, I want to say NBC. I could be wrong. Yes, NBC. That is premiering on January 6th. So, you know, set the DVRs now. It's called Emerald City. And it really looks dark and good. I I don't think it's based on The Wizard of Oz. It's based on certain elements of, you know how many books there are. Yeah. There's a lot of adventures no one has bothered to cover. And so uh, I have to say, go, go look at the trailer. or Maybe we should post the trailer. On a, yeah. I'll, I'll put a link on the Pinterest board to that trailer, but on the Wizard of Oz board because it's more appropriate. But um, oh, man, yeah. if you're hungry for live action, I think I would give a look at that. I hope it lives up to the hype there. Yeah, and you, it sounds like one uh, that you should probably watch from season one so you can understand it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, I think well, that might be all the links that I have. I mean, that I have here on my list. And then I'll, I've got a, a Pinterest board already going for Mulan. Mulan was much easier to pin than Queen Nzinga. <laughs> so that ends our coverage of the fictional slash real question mark character of Mulan. The comparisons are, I think, that Disney Mulan is all about transformation. She transformed herself from shy, from out of place, from not fitting into her society into someone different, someone better, like a personal growth story. And traditional Mulan is more about duty and determination, I think. So watch the movie to get intrigued by the story. Read the books to be inspired by traditional Mulan's bad alec-ery, which is very hard to say. And go forth. (laughs) Be yourself. Be brave. Make the change. Be the change that you want to see in the world. And thank you so very much for listening. Bye. If you know more about Mulan than you did an hour ago, please tell a few friends about us or leave a review for us on iTunes. 
All of the links and books we talked about can be found at our website, thehistorychicks.com, and on our ever-expanding Pinterest page. And on our ever-expanding Pinterest page. You can talk to Susan on Twitter, talk to me, Beckett, on Instagram, or if email is your thing, send us a note at chicks at thehistorychicks.com. It's the devil in the whiskey now.